you can make a difference like as just one person as just one family yes of course what i do in my house is never going to be enough to to you know change the world but actually it changes our world it changes what we do in our house and it absolutely does have a difference welcome to wannabe greener with me harriet robinson This is the podcast aiming to make sustainable living accessible to everyone. And today's guest is pretty much the epitome of that. Author, blogger, podcaster and environmentalist Jen Gale shares her and her family's imperfect sustainable lifestyle through her social media and her blog, Sustainable-ish, as well as through her two books, The Sustainable-ish Living Guide and The Sustainable-ish Guide to Parenting, as well as through her podcast, of course, called Sustainable-ish. As soon as you kind of add that ish on the end, you just see people's shoulders go, yeah, oh, Oh, it's okay not to, because the perception is, and we like to put each other in little boxes, don't we? And if you're an eco-type, you know, you're vegan and you don't fly and you do this, you know, and you hug bunnies and you like eating mung beans and whatever it might be and thinking, well, I, I don't, I, I'm not an eco-type. I'm not that, you know, and thinking, well, I don't want to be that type of person and therefore I can't do anything about this. But actually we can all have meat-free Monday or we can all buy a little bit less. Jen is someone I've been following for a while and her way of tackling environmental issues and trying to live more sustainably is definitely something I agree with. If we can't get people even started on the journey because it feels too hard, too much, too austere, then, you know, if we can't even get them from A to B, they're never going to even approach Z, are they? So rather than saying to everyone, you've got to go from A to Z in one big jump, let's go let's go to 8.1 mm. and I'll hold your hand and I'll give you some ideas and here's some other people that are having a go as well. That's much more, I think, accessible and likely to get people on board. Yeah. As a community of people trying to make positive change, we need to be potentially a little bit kinder to each other and not expect perfection from people who stick their head above the parapet and say that they're, that they're making changes and they're trying to do things and we need to allow some imperfection and be really encouraging of people who are trying to make changes no matter how imperfectly. So you may know Jen from her Make Do and Mend year where she and her husband and two young sons spent a whole year without buying anything new. Ten years later they're doing it again and I wanted to catch up with her to see how it was going and to find out what she's learned from the process and what we can learn from it as well. We also talk about Jen's experience navigating her journey into a life with less environmental impact and how she manages to get her family involved in all of her plans. She shares ways she's managed to embrace slow living and gives her tips and advice for those of us wanting to cut down on our consumption but you know in a realistic and manageable way. And we also talk about keeping positive when it can feel like our small actions aren't making much of a difference. It isn't all doom and gloom. And I think there's a real risk that a narrative around sort of climate doomerism and, oh, what's the point? We're all screwed anyway. That plays into the hands of the fossil fuel company for us to carry on business as usual and for nothing to change. First up, though, I wanted to know if Jen had always been so eco-conscious. So I always thought we were pretty green, I think, because we did our recycling and I didn't really think that there was anything else to do. Like that was definitely the message we were getting like through the 90s and things like that. Um, But then we spent a year buying nothing new, which was 10 years ago. And that was kind of like that whole year, I guess, was my someone else used the term ecopiphany to me and I really like it. So that whole year was kind of my awakening or my opening of the can of worms or whatever. I think prior to that, we'd been, like I said, we thought we were pretty green. We did our recycling. 
and I was aware of the climate crisis, but I think kind of looking away from it, do you know, like not maliciously, not deliberately, but feeling that feeling that I'm sure lots of people um, can relate to that, like, this is huge, this is big, this is overwhelming. You know, of course, I can't do anything to do anything about this. What can I possibly do that's going to make a difference? Surely if it was that bad, the government should be doing something. Surely if it was that bad, businesses wouldn't be allowed to do all these different things. And then realizing, oh, oh, it is that bad. And oh, yeah, no, government still aren't doing much about it. And businesses are allowed to do these things. Realizing that there was a lot that we could do. And I think for me as well, there was making that link between what we buy and sort of climate change. And I hadn't hadn't really thought about consumption at all in any way, shape or form, just sort of, you know, where can we get something as cheap, where it might be on sale, all that sort of thing, but hadn't really thought about where we were buying stuff from, where it was coming from, who might have made it, what the impact would have been. So it was a year long light bulb moment, if you like. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get that. I think, yeah, I was like that as well, kind of always on the hunt for the cheaper thing. So often meant that I was going to charity shops and eBay and stuff like that anyway but maybe wasn't thinking about the yeah kind of ethical aspect of it mm. so yeah so then you did a whole year of buying nothing new or pretty much nothing new that's pretty extreme really <laughs> why did you decide to do that first of all yeah still not really sure 10 years on um <laughs> I, I I think I just discovered like free cycle and free girl and things like that and then I read an article about somebody who was doing something she called it her secondhand safari and I remember thinking, oh, that sounds quite fun. And I just genuinely thought it'd be quite a fun challenge. Um, like I said, hadn't hadn't really joined those dots between consumption and climate. Um, two little kids at home and whether I was subconsciously looking for something, you know, that wasn't changing nappies and cleaning loos and wiping noses, um, you know, something that could be my little project and things. And I wanted to start a blog. So it just started from there. And it wasn't ever with a particular money saving angle behind it and it wasn't really I don't think with a sustainability angle behind it it was just a kind of this this might be quite fun and it was <laughs> you say it was fun I mean how and I know some people might know what you've done but um in terms of the details of it did you literally buy nothing new I mean what were the kind of rules over the year so we set ourselves some rules um, we said we could buy food and we could buy uh, toiletries and we could buy shoes for the kids because they were tiny and I just sort of didn't want my crazy project to end up messing up their feet. Oh, underwear we said we could buy, although I think um, we all just managed a whole year without needing to buy anything new um, in terms of pants and stuff. And uh, we decided if something broke you know, and it needed a new part to fix it, then it made sense to, to get a new part and to fix something rather than ditch a whole thing. So that was our sort of loose rules. And then, yeah, we, we we managed it. I think I bought one new thing accidentally, which was a um, a children's first aid book, which I've never looked at since. Like we went to a, uh. my my kids were both, I don't know, they were four and one or something. And there was a, a like a children's first aid course at the preschool. And I went to it and then they were like, oh, and here's this book, which is really useful to have at home. And I just sort of bought it and didn't even think about it because I wasn't in that you know, oh, I'm buying something new. I'm in a shop headspace. Mm. And one of the other mums just looked at me and went, aren't you not supposed to be? And I was like, oh, oh my God. And I felt really awful. But um, yeah, that was the, <laughs> that was a, that was a, our slip up. I feel like that's, that's okay. That's, that's yeah. a small slip up. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did the family take it then? Because I, I find like, you know, I, I don't have a family myself, but even my partner finds it quite frustrating sometimes that I have 
these rules, you know, we have to recycle mm. this and I'm keeping bags of plastic in the cupboard for weeks yes. on end. How did your kind of partner and your children deal with this insanely big change? So I'm someone who has a lot of um, air quotes, amazing ideas, like constantly having lots of ideas and very few of them I follow through on. Um, and so I'm always going, oh, we can do this, we can do this. And he just sort of looks at me and goes, all right, yeah, lovely. And so he did that when I first suggested it and then carried on whatever he was watching, whatever we were watching on the telly. And then I sort of brought it up again a week later and you could just see him go, oh, like, I think she's quite serious about this one. So we had a, we had a discussion and we had a, a slightly heated discussion about whether a newspaper counted as buying something new. I said it did and he said it didn't because it was like recycled and, you know, paper and all those sorts of things. <laughs> I will leave listeners to surmise who won. And then actually he was really good about it. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't buy masses of clothes anyway. He's still got T-shirts, you know, in his wardrobe that he wore at uni. And so he's not massively into clothes. I think his big thing was sort of CDs and DVDs. And obviously that's become progressively more and more obsolete with the downloads and things like that. So I don't know that it was a big stretch for him particularly. Um, and the kids were young enough not to you know, not to really have much of a say in it. And they're just as happy with a 50p car from a car boot as to, you know, something all singing mm. and all dancing. And so I think it was, you know, things like you'd be doing a supermarket shop and they'd make a beeline for the magazines and, you know, the kids' magazines with all the tat on and trying to sort of say, no, well, you know, we are doing this year, we're not buying anything new. And um, the, the, our eldest very loudly in a charity shop once went, mummy, we can buy things in here, can't we? And I was like, yeah we can darling yes um but they know on the whole they were you know it was much easier than I thought it was going to be and you were buying things that were secondhand right yeah you know um and we could repair stuff and we weren't like you in that we we weren't charity shop shoppers particularly before that I would you know periodically go in and just go oh I can't find anything and walk out again so it kind of was a different it was a real sort of I don't know, really opened my eyes to all these different like retail outlets. So it wasn't, you know, not just charity shops, but car boot sales and um, vintage fairs and, you know, all these different things. And actually, once you stop to sort of look around, you think, God, like we, we could just stop making stuff now and there would still be enough stuff for everyone. Like you suddenly realise how you can get the vast majority, you know, I would say 99% of what you need or want secondhand you might just have to be a little bit more patient do a little bit more digging around but that's no bad thing when we're trying to slow down our consumption yeah yeah for sure I mean that is the one frustrating thing I think I find I might think oh I really need a jumper for winter or something mm. and then I'll have an idea of the one I want and I'm scrolling through kind of Depop and eBay yeah. and Vinted and stuff and I never can quite find the right one or I order one and it doesn't fit properly and you think oh, mm. God, if I just went to a shop I'd find it in two minutes I know yeah. It's just a frustrating yeah. thing. But I suppose, like you said, it's just about slowing down and not feeling like you kind of need and have to need and want new things all the time. Um, yeah. And also, I mean, if, you, if you're going to, if you say, oh, I, I need a new winter jumper, buy a new winter jumper, but keep that new winter jumper for five, 10, 15 years. Don't just, the problem comes when we swap it again next winter for, you know, we chuck it out and get another new winter jumper next winter. That's when the the problem comes is the, the the speed with which we replace everything isn't it mm, yeah definitely so obviously that was 10 years ago you had that year what happened at the end of the year like what happened on day 366 yeah. did you just go mad and just buy a load of new stuff no and like I remember because you know blogged about it and got a bit of 
press coverage and things like that. And so lots of people were saying, well, you know, what, what's, what are you going to do now? What are you going to go out and buy? And I was like, I can't go through an experience like that. And I'm aware that makes it sound like I've been, you know, some kind of war hero or something, but I haven't. But to, to, to do that and to learn all the things we learned and to open that can of worms, you can't just pack it all away again and go back to consuming in the sort of quite mindless way we were before. So, no, I think I might have bought a magazine but certainly it wasn't a like, oh, my God, here's this list of all these things we've been desperately wanting and, you know, putting off buying for the year. So it wasn't um, certainly wasn't like that at all. It just kind of I think, our, our, you know, we relaxed the rules in the years that followed and to a certain extent of, you know, maybe got a little bit lazy around it, um, which is why part of the reason for doing it again now as a sort of 10 years on. But no, it, it just sort of carried on and it, it became very much more a part of part of life a part of you know how we shopped looking for things secondhand first you said it's carrying on now so you've started a year of buying nothing new again yeah so we did because I was super aware at the time like I said the kids were four and two something like that and I remember saying this would be a very different experience with teenagers and Mm. you know uh, how long are you allowed to as a parent keep pushing your values morals ethics onto your children and at what point do you have to kind of let them start to develop their own so our original year went from September 2012 through to August 2013 because I think I came up with the idea and was then too impatient to wait until the new year whereas this year I just thought well we'll start in January and we have a nice rhyme of nothing new in 22 so I thought we'll do that and we'll do it for the year and it's kind of a 10-year celebration if you like um but also like I said we've got a bit lazy around it so um sort of helping us to to get back into that groove again. And I, I said to the kids who are now uh, 14 and 11, this is something I would like to do again. Would you like to join in? Expecting them to say no. And they went, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, oh. So I gave them both. Um, I've got boys, so they're not massively into clothes or uh, anything like that. I gave them both a, a sort of exception that they could have one thing they could buy new, you know, and I wasn't going to be like clothes. It would have to be like a specific brand of I don't know, tops or jeans or trainers or whatever. But they're both into, um, uh, they're quite geeky and into like Warhammer, which is this horrible, like mm. not, in no way sustainable, like little plastic, little plastic models that you paint. Yeah. And, yeah. But that's literally all they buy and want for birthdays and Christmas and things. So that was their exception. So yeah, we've been going since January. And I mean, vintage has just been a revelation, like if that, because that wasn't around 10 years ago. And so yes. it just makes like so much easier because you don't have to wait for an auction to end on eBay and, you know, all those sorts of things. And also, I think last time around, because I was blogging about it, I was really conscious of not just the blog being like, oh, and we went on eBay and found this. I really made an effort to explore different things and try repairing things and all that so that there was much more interesting to read about. Whereas I think now it's just like, yeah, we'll just go and have a look on Vinted. <laughs> maybe we can't find out there, maybe we'll have a look on eBay and yeah. Vinted's been amazing. Like Vintage and Depop have really brought that pre-loved thing into mm. the mainstream. Lots of my friends now buy most of their clothes on there. I don't think they're necessarily doing it for environmental reasons. It's yeah. just to grab a bargain. But mm. still, I mean, it, it works both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, if you know what what brand you're after and obviously you can filter for size and colour and all those sorts of things. And I think just the fact that you can just pay the price it says or make an offer, you don't have to wait five days, for, you know, and it's it's then in the post. You don't have to wait for an auction to end and things, which 
um, yes, you, maybe you've got more chance of bagging a bargain on eBay, but sometimes we just want the convenience of knowing that something's coming when we need it. Yeah, I, I was wondering, I mean, your kids sound like they're very open to stuff like this. I guess they've grown up with it because I, I suppose one thing you'd be worried about as a parent was whether other kids were making fun of them or whether they, mm. you know, were just a bit upset that they couldn't have what other kids have. And I know you've kind of written your books that, that are to do with family and I assume you're in contact with a lot of other families. Do you think that children are actually probably a lot more open to stuff like this than we actually give them credit for? I don't know. I mean, I've always said that my kids aren't that engaged. I mean, I remember when the school strikes and stuff were happening, saying to them, do you want to do you want to go on a school strike? Like, I'm really happy to come and support you, happy to help you write a letter to the head. And they just looked at me like, no, like, why would I want to do that? And then I went on a, a strike that was a specifically like a for mums and parents, I think. And it was the first time I'd been on a climate strike. and I was really nervous about it. And I said to my eldest, do you want to come? And he was like, well, how far is it? Where do I have to go? And I said, oh, it's in London. All right, well, how far do you have to walk? I don't, I don't know, probably about three or four miles. Nah, you're right, thanks. So they're lot, you know, whereas I know some people have got kids who are really grabbing this by the horns and, and kind of running with it and really active and leading their eco groups at their schools and things like that. And mine aren't. And so part of me thinks, oh God, you know, I've failed in some way. But also I kind of think this isn't my job to put this onto them. I, I you know, would feel awful if I thought I'd, effectively sort of stolen their childhood from them by by making this something that you know I was adamant they had to be concerned about had to be anxious about we already know that rates of eco-anxiety are high in young people you know I, I feel like as parents we can support our young people if that's a route they want to go down and if that's something that they step into but I don't I certainly don't feel like it's my role to make this their issue for them so I don't know if they're a bit like oh mum's over there dealing with that that's fine and I'm not very good, like, you know, I'm sure there are lots of parents who are much better parents than me that sit down the kitchen table and have these lovely conversations about it. But I tend to just sort of get on and do stuff and then realise I haven't explained to them why we're, why we're doing X, Y and Z and that maybe I ought to, you know, put a box aside for everyone to put crisp packets in and then tut and moan that they're not putting their crisp packets in and I forget that I haven't actually told them that they need to put their crisp <laughs> packets in there. Do you know, all those sorts of things. But no, I mean, our eldest, actually, he's... So he's now 14. He volunteered to be, he did volunteer to be the the eco rep at his school uh, in his house. And he's like, he's making more of an effort to pick the veggie meals at lunchtime. And like, there was an opportunity to go on a, a school trip to Greece or something. And I said, oh, that sounds amazing. Do you want to go? And he was like, well, no, because it's flying. So he obviously, you know, he does really think about it. And he's taken that on board. I don't think he yet feels confident enough, particularly to talk about that to his you know to fellow students and things like that but yeah it's 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 it definitely adds another dimension trying to bring you know kids along for the ride as well yeah I bet what are the kind of other elements of your family life that are eco-friendly I mean are you do you try to eat veggie is there other kind of zero waste elements to to what mm, you do so um yeah they were quite resistant I think that they just I don't know if it's what we bring them up on or you know when they're little but they they we're just used to having, you know, spaghetti bolognese and uh, all these sorts of things. So there was sure. certainly for my youngest, I think, resistance around veggie meals and things. Um, but we're probably now, I don't know, we eat meat. Depends who does the shopping. If my husband does the shopping, then he'll often get like a packet of ham or packet of salami or something to go on a pizza or in sandwiches, whereas I just won't really buy any meat. We have very few meat-based meals now. Mm. And they're kind of okay with it, I think. They just sort of have stopped complaining You're about it now, it. I think. <laughs> 
I mean, holidays, I think, is one of the big things where potentially they sometimes feel like they're missing out because, I mean, last time we flew as a family was over 10 years ago. We went to Northern Ireland for a family wedding. And that's the only time they've been on a plane. And then, and then we go on holiday in our caravan to wherever and they come back and go, oh, mummy, like they went to here and there and everywhere. And so I think sometimes they do feel like they're missing out in that respect. So actually, you know, one of the things we want to do going forwards now is do some more European train travel and really sort of uh, explore that way with them and try and see um, how far we can go in trains and uh, have some different experiences to um, the ones that we've traditionally had. Because I think they do start to notice. Some of that will depend on, you know, the demographic of your kid's school and all that sort of thing and what yeah. other people are doing. But yeah, that's that's definitely one area I think where they've noticed. Yeah. Actually, recently I was looking at train travel to kind of Amsterdam or places mm. kind of that far away. And it's not that expensive. I, I know it was going to be more. It's cheaper than going to London, to be honest. So mm. yeah, yes, I interviewed um, Georgina at Pebble magazine because she's got a book called Eco-Friendly Travel Guide, I think. And it's like 30 European train travel itineraries and it's just a beautiful book and it's amazing and it just looks so exciting and I think I'd got it into my head that like we're not flying therefore we stay in the UK but actually we're so lucky with Europe on our doorstep and all the high-speed train routes that exist you know um, throughout Europe that like you say we can get lots of places actually relatively quickly when you take into account driving to the airport parking waiting for security going through security all those sorts of things and it's just trying to have a different mindset, I guess, to travel and try and see the journey as more part of the the holiday as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, getting a train around Europe is going to be beautiful, mm. more exciting than flying over it. So, yeah. And you get and, to see all that, you know, landscape and culture and, and often train stations as well get you straight into a city centre rather than, yes. you know, Stansted or wherever it's supposed to, or even Heathrow or Gatwick. They're not in London, are they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I really want to go on a train trip now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the big question is, and obviously you've learned loads, you've written two books, you've started a podcast that does really well, but what have you learned from that first year that you did of buying nothing new what were some of the big things that came out of it and that really changed your lifestyle I mean learned loads of really practical stuff do you know like I I'd never really mended anything before so and then patched numerous numbers of jeans and pairs of jeans and sewed buttons on and all those sorts of things and my husband was really good and sort of embraced the mending of the white goods and the electronics and things like that so we learned loads of really practical skills I, I learned you know, I sort of rediscovered a love of writing and things through doing the blog and that led to the books and um, all sorts of different things. But the biggest thing for me, and I always feel like, oh, everyone, people are going to roll their eyes and it sounds really worthy, but it was really that, like, you can make a difference. Like, as just one person, as just one family, yes, of course, what I do in my house is never going to be enough to change the world, but actually it changes our world. It changes what we do in our house and it absolutely does have a difference. And also this idea that I think around that lovely Maya Angelou quote, you know, once you know better, you do better. So having learned all this stuff and then thinking, okay, so now what, what can we do about that? And trying to think about positive choices we could make and trying to think about it's never just one change in isolation. So we've, you know, I often think, God, if I hadn't kept the blog about it, would our year buying nothing new still have had the same impact? And yes, it would for us as a family, 
But obviously, because I chose to blog about it and share it on social media, it's reached thousands of people. And so even if it has just changed one person's life in a little way or changed something that they do, it's had a greater impact. And that's exactly the same with any change or conversation that that we have. So it's never just a change in isolation. So any changes, and when I say we, I mean, you know, not just me and my family collective, the collective we as a society, we we make a change, whether we decide we're going to walk to school twice a week, or whether we're going to, you know, cook a veggie meal next time we have family around or something like that, it, it starts a conversation, or it makes people go away and think and you might never know that you've had an influence or impacted on somebody else. I was doing uh, some training last week and somebody from Do Nation, if people have heard of them, they're a brilliant platform for helping employees and engaging employees around sustainability. And um, they've done some research and they say that for every time, you know, one person takes an action makes a difference and that impacts seven other people around them, they reckon it will have a positive impact on seven other people. So it was really around that, that sense of responsibility now I know this stuff I can't just sit back and not do anything and yes I acknowledge that I will never be able to change the world entirely but I can drop a pebble into a pond which is what Georgina talks about at Pebble Magazine and create a ripple and um, create change and it's never going to feel enough but um, there are lots of other people out there doing the same and it's really important that we do do it. A hundred percent yeah I agree I think in the past couple of years maybe since covid i've started to take on that mentality of um oh what's the point you know the governments don't Mm. care and the pandemic's come and kind of made everything just kind of backwards Mm. you know we've gone so many steps back and it just feels a bit oh why am i bothering but actually what you say is true and that's you know we've got this little community whether it's people that read your blog people on instagram having podcasts Mm. like this even if one person that listens or reads it, like you said, makes a change and they pass it on, then yeah, that does make a difference. It's just a bit hard to see sometimes, isn't it? When you feel like you're really slogging it and really Um, trying your best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A report actually came out from the House of Lords last week that that looked into the impact that individual behaviour changes can have. And they reckon that it's like a third of the change that we need to achieve to get to hit net zero will come from behavior change as individuals. So we absolutely can and do make a difference. But also that, I think that is part of the problem with air quotes climate action is that it's very difficult to feel like you're making a difference. So with something like waste or plastic, it's much easier to see because we can literally see that our bin is filling up or we can literally see um, an area that was really litter strewn and we've gone and picked it up and we can feel like we've made Mm. a difference. Whereas with climate action, I always say like, you don't, leave the lights on and there's a thunderstorm outside your house or you don't turn the lights off and you get a little WhatsApp from a polar bear giving you a big thumbs up. It's really hard to see that you're making a difference. So one of the things I do with with my community, um, I've got a little membership and I sort of encourage them all to use Geeky, which is a carbon footprinting platform. And it, you know, it means that not only can you get your baseline and measure it, but you can see that you're moving in the right direction. And also we, we've got a, a sort of account that allows us to then a team on there so we can see the power of our collective action as well because you sort of think oh brilliant I've I don't know whatever I've done and that saved half a ton of carbon dioxide and you think well that's awesome but in the grand scheme of things not enough and then you suddenly realize that you're part of this group of 100 people and collectively you've saved I don't know 120 150 tons of carbon you start to feel like oh no this Mm. is making a difference and this is worth doing but yeah I absolutely agree that it can feel very difficult. So many of them are invisible, um, sort of difficult to measure, difficult to count, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they really are. How do you, that's really interesting, by the way, Geeky, I'm going to 
find that because that's sounds... yeah, g-i-k-i if people want to i think uh okay, okay i'll never remember it's geeky dot zero but yeah we can find the link and i'm sure you can share that yeah yeah definitely um how do you kind of feel about the future then i kind of asked this someone the other day because we have had a weird two two and a half years and it's felt like environmental issues have just been kind of you know put back under the carpet for a little mm. bit in a way do you feel positive about the future in terms of, you know, the bigger picture? Yeah, um, I think to to coin like Christiana Figueres, who was one of the big people behind the scenes for the Paris Agreement in 2015, she talks about stubborn optimism and, and kind of this idea of active hope, I guess. So one of the things that keeps me going is sheer terror, is the fear of what potentially lies ahead if we don't get this right and it's not exclusive to people who've got children or anything but wanting to be able to look my children in the eye and say look this is you know we knew this was happening and you know I did I did what was in my power and sometimes it is really easy to get overwhelmed and you know I'm, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say oh I'm constantly hugely upbeat and positive I think probably anybody who's paying attention will have these peaks and troughs and these oh my god what's the point and um, especially with the political landscape we've got at the moment in the in the UK and everything, as you said, everything just seems so up in the air and we need some grown-ups to come in and actually get us back on the on the right track. But every time I just come back to, okay, I'm, I can't just hide under the duvet and do nothing, having learned everything I've learned. That just would feel hugely uncomfortable. So actually, what can I do? And And this idea of focusing on the things that we, there's so much we can't do. And then that's, becomes incredibly overwhelming as you said we need the government to be making different changes and things but actually what can I do well I can actually engage with my MP I can write to them and um, let them know that this is something important to me I can cook another veggie meal for the kids I can ask people on my social media if they've got any nice veggie recipes that they can share because then that starts a whole conversation about you know eating less meat or I can um say to the kids no we're going to walk into town rather than drive because come on it's better for us physically mentally you know we get a bit of sunshine get a bit of vitamin d all that so constantly bringing it back to um to what we can do and i guess to a certain extent being and i'm I'm rubbish at this i will admit like putting in place boundaries around how much doom scrolling you do you know i will just sit on twitter and doom scroll and doom scroll Mm. um but there are good news stories out there there that if we think about the uptake of evs if we think about the uptake in renewables the transition to renewables those things are happening quicker than people ever predicted that they would um you know it does really feel globally like we're on a cusp with renewables um and we have the vast majority of the technology we need to make the transition it's not like we're sat here you know thinking god i wish we knew how to make energy from the sun like wouldn't that be amazing do you know we have this technology we have some incredibly gifted intelligent amazing people doing all these amazing good things so sometimes i think um that idea of looking for the helpers do you know um so like i made a point of we get the happy broad uh, happy newspaper i think uh, it comes once a quarter because the kids said to me, like, the news is always really depressing, isn't it, Mum? And I was like, mm. Mm. so now we get this and it's just there on the kitchen table for, you know, us all to sort of leaf through and look and to see, yes, we need to go faster. Yes, we need more to be happening, but it isn't all doom and gloom. And I think there's a real risk that a narrative around sort of climate doomerism and, oh, what's the point? We're all screwed anyway. That plays into the hands of the fossil fuel company for us to carry on business as usual and for nothing to change. 
Yes, I've I've recently started um, following. Well, maybe in the past year or so, followed a couple of um, kind of good news Instagram pages and stuff like that. And actually, it is surprising how quickly something like that can really change your attitude for the day. Just to see, oh wow, yes. look at this amazing thing that's happening. And like you said, that motivates you to continue your journey as well. So, mm. yes, great advice. Um, I was going to ask you what your kind of top tips would be for somebody who maybe buys a lot of new clothes or just isn't really mm. into that kind of secondhand buying or mending headspace at the moment. Yeah. Probably doing a year of buying nothing new would be a bit extreme for them. Yeah. But what, <laughs> but what, what should the kind of first steps be? How can you ease yourself into kind of changing your mindset a little bit? So one of the things that I think can be really helpful for a lot of people is, especially if you are have got into a bit of a just click and, you know, it's delivered and because you know, places like Amazon make it so they, they understand the barriers that stop us buying and they have eradicated them. So it's just so easy to just click and to buy and to, um, you know, then something arrives and you've forgotten that you'd ordered it and all that sort of thing. So sometimes giving yourself a bit of a cooling off period. So like I would do this with the kids anyway, when they were little, like, we'd, you know, if you get dragged into a toy shop, just like, oh, yeah, put it on your birthday list, put it on your Christmas list, or I'll take a picture of it. And you can remind me about it. If you remember it in a week's time, we'll have a little look. So kind of doing that for ourselves. So if you see something you like online, pop it in your basket, you know, and you might have to really force yourself or really because it just becomes very automated, doesn't it? But maybe you pop it in your basket. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to get. And by the time you come back, you might have forgotten about it or I'm going to make myself wait 24 hours or I'm going to make myself wait a week, whatever you want to do. But giving yourself that little bit of breathing space between I see it, I want it, I'm buying it. I think is hugely powerful. And that's for us, that's what buying nothing new did. It, it forced me to have that breathing space between, oh, I see that and chucking it in my trolley and getting it and like, oh, oh, that's nice. Maybe the kids would like that or I like that. Oh, I'm going to have to go home and have a look on eBay or I'm going to have to have a look in the charity shops. And it gives you that breathing space. And then you go, oh, maybe I don't want it so much anymore either. So that's a really good idea. The other thing is to like, just challenge yourself. The next thing you decide you want or need, like you were saying, a winter jumper, can you find it secondhand? Or uh, next time you get a hole in something, is that your little challenge to yourself to go and find a, a video on YouTube? Because YouTube is your friend, you know, there would always be a YouTube tutorial for something. Yeah. Can you can you work out how to sew a button back on? Can you have a go at patching it or darning it? And it is around trying to slow down our consumption. And I think, you know, finding a community online who who are also there, because if you're just surrounded by friends and family who are in the same boat as you and buy, 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 it's really easy to feel like it's just you and you're missing out. But actually, if you can find a, a community either in person or online who are also trying to do this, they can support you to do that as well. Very good tips. Yeah, they're awesome. Thank you. Okay, yeah, so the second time you've done your year of, buying nothing new how well are you doing with that and do you feel like it is like you said it was kind of a little I suppose bumper to help you get back on track do you feel yeah. like when January comes back round you're feeling pretty good you're not going to be desperate for for anything new really no I mean like I said the kids had that exception so that's basically all that they want buying we've probably been a little bit lax with books so 
like we've got a lovely independent bookshop in the next town along from us so supporting them or sometimes if I if I'm looking for you know specific book that I've seen around sustainability or something my first port of call is always world of books so that's a great website to check out they have loads of secondhand books but sometimes if they don't have the secondhand one it will be a new one so I have purchased some new books from them Hmm. and our youngest started secondary school so we had to buy some new bits of uniform and things so I've been less uptight about it but it's certainly I think it has slowed down my consumption again in terms of clothes and it's made me sort of a bit braver maybe so I just sort of assumed I wouldn't be able to find like running trainers um and would just be like oh I'll just go and get some and you know and actually I was looked on vintage and found some and you yes. know they arrived and they're fine and um so it's made me sort of I think do things like that that I would have just gone oh do you know what I'll just I, I know what make and size fits me and I'll just order them so yeah it has been a really good reset oh, amazing yeah I think it's brilliant what you're doing and I think you've really probably inspired a whole load of other people to, to kind of do the same thing but I think that element of not being perfect is the most important mm. thing really if anybody tries to do anything perfectly there's a likelihood they're gonna fail and that's gonna put you off doing it at all really isn't it so I think allowing yourself a little bit of leeway with things is going to make your journey in sustainability just a little bit easier and a little bit more pleasurable that's why I talk about sustainable ish Mm. and as soon as you kind of add that ish on the end you just see people's shoulders go yeah oh oh it's okay not to because the perception is and we like to put each other in little boxes don't we and if you're an eco type you know you're vegan and you don't fly and you do this you know and you hug bunnies and you like eating mung beans and whatever it might be and thinking well I, I don't I, I'm not an ecotype I'm not that you know and, and thinking well I don't want to be that type of person and therefore I can't do anything about this but actually we can all have meat-free Monday or we can all buy a little bit less or we can all um, you know walk a bit more I'm sure do you know that it's not saying everybody's got to do x y and z and exactly as you said if I said to somebody you've either stay as you are or you be 100% sustainable I can't think of one person who would say, oh, no, I'll have a go. I'll be 100% sustainable overnight. And yes, I completely agree that, you know, the window of opportunity is closing. You know, we need to do more action. We need to do more action quicker. But I think if we can't get people even started on the journey because it feels too hard, too much, too austere, then, you know, if we can't even get them from A to B, they're never going to even approach Z, are they? So rather than saying to everyone, you've got to go from A to Z in one big jump, let's go, let's go to 8.1 and I'll hold your hand and I'll give you some ideas. And here's some other people that are having a go as well. That's much more, I think, accessible and likely to get people on board. Yeah. And with you, it's worked. You know, you've, you started the main part of your sustainable-ish journey 10 years ago, and now you're still on it. So you've been able to kind of manage it. Whereas before you might've been kind of tearing your hair out. So um, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And, you know, we started with the not buying anything and I didn't really even look at um, plastic for five, six years. And again, didn't really think much about waste. But like we've just gone, I think we put our bin out for the first time in August this year. But that's been a 10 year journey. And if you'd said to me 10 years ago, you'll be eating, I don't know, 49 out of 50 meals will be veggie. I'd have gone, no, no, not a chance that, you know, that everybody else would get on board with this. But it is just kind of slow steady progress and and working out what works for you because what works for me probably won't work for you and vice versa and my hard might be your easy and all those sorts of things and that's fine and we've got to be I think as a as a community of people trying to make positive change we need to be potentially a little bit kinder to each other and not expect perfection from people who stick their head above the parapet and say that they're that they're making changes and they're trying to do things and we need to 
allow some imperfection and be really encouraging of people who are trying to make changes no matter how imperfectly yes yes because you know when you say you're when you say you're vegetarian (laughs) or vegan people start questioning you about things and ask well what about this and what about this oh but you wear these shoes and you do that and yeah yeah at least I'm doing something what are you doing so it's it's really weird how we challenge people on their achievements very strange but yeah mm. it's been brilliant to talk to you jen thank you so much oh i hope i haven't waffled on no too much. you haven't <laughs> no it's been great uh before you go you do an amazing podcast uh you also have two books out so i'd love you just to tell us for anyone that hasn't caught them yet a little bit about them Oh, thank you. So the podcast is Sustainable-ish. You can find it wherever you normally get your podcasts or you can come and find it on the website. So the website is confusingly a sustainablelife.co.uk. But if you Google Sustainable-ish, you should find it. Um, and then the books, um, the first one is a Sustainable-ish Living Guide. And that came out in January 2020, I think, just before the pandemic. Um, but that is really supposed to be your sort of little Bible, if you like, for, for actions you can take and things that you can do. And then the second one, um, is a sustainable-ish guide to green parenting and it goes right through from sort of pre-baby and pregnancy all the way through to teenagers and some little changes and things that we can do as families. Amazing. Any more on the way? Not in the pipeline at the moment, no. I, I would love to hear from people if they've got any ideas for anything else they would want, but I kind of, a little bit feels like I've I've said what I wanted to say in terms of trying to make this accessible and, you know, the imperfect action and, and sharing lots of really practical tips and I don't want to just churn out another book and chop down some more trees for the sake of having a third book do you know so yeah. um yeah if people if people have got ideas i would love to hear them i've got a few ideas but nothing that feels like it would make a book at the moment okay cool well it's been so great thank you so much for uh, for sharing your wisdom today oh thank you so much for inviting me how brilliant is she thank you so much to the amazing jen gale Another chat where I felt really positive by the end of it, which I think should be the goal of any conversation about environmental issues. So as always, let's have a quick recap on some of the advice that Jen gave us. She said, focus on what we can do. She mentioned stubborn optimism. So getting rid of those negative thoughts and just working on what you can do. What are some of the positives? You can write to your MP. You can utilise social media to start a conversation. You can plan veggie meals for you and your family. She said you could also check out Geeky to help you improve your carbon footprint. The link's in the bio for that one, by the way, for this episode, if you want to go check it out. Um, she also mentioned putting in place boundaries around doom scrolling. Try to focus on good news stories. Honestly, I know we spoke about this, but waking up in the morning and scrolling through loads of horrible things that are happening in the world does not set you out on a good day and doesn't really mean you're going to be a particularly productive person that day either so um, definitely try and focus on some some positive news stories uh, about the planet she also said give yourself a cooling off period so um, focusing on you know trying to buy less when you find something you want to buy online return later and see if you still want it and if you do can you find it second hand or somewhere else um, and she kind of said you know about setting those challenges for yourself so can you work out how to mend something or if there's an item you want yeah finding it second hand and actually I do that quite often you'll be surprised by how easy it is like even sometimes when the item is still in the shops there's a second hand version somewhere she also said if you do buy something new look after it and cherish it so that has a long life 
Jen also recommended finding a community, doing the same thing as you, who can help you along and support you. And she also said be kind to others and support those who are trying to be more eco-friendly. Even if they're not doing a lot in your eyes, they're doing something and that's a good thing. Give them praise for it. Uh, But also don't put pressure on yourself. Every little thing we can do helps. I think when she was talking about Geeky and having that community, that was really interesting. The fact that maybe it doesn't feel like you're making much of a difference on your own but when you bring together the power of lots of people you can really actually see a difference now jen did do a whole year of buying nothing new twice she's pretty much at the end of it now but could you go a month buying no new clothes could you make it two months next time maybe just set yourself these really small goals that you can grow as you go along and yeah just do what works for you thanks again to the inspirational jen gale you can find the links to all of the awesome stuff she does in the info for this episode and if you enjoyed our chat please do go and hit follow and leave a review i would love to know what you think of wannabe greener thanks for listening and i'll see you next time bye